morning to uh, all those people that are gathered in person uh, here at uh, our Junior Campus, whether it's here in this venue or our other venue, and uh, to all of those uh, watching online today, I am so glad that you've joined in with us and you're a part of what we're doing, and uh, it is my hope and prayer that we will all be together really, really soon as well too, but uh, more so, I'm, I'm hoping that today is just a wonderful inspiration. The Spirit of God's at work in our lives in a really powerful way today. You know, I'm wondering this morning if you've ever taken a risk on something. Could be any number of things in your life as you think about that. You know, for, me, for you, maybe perhaps uh, you've taken the, the risk on a new job and you've decided to move in a completely new or different direction. Or uh, maybe uh, it's a decision to say, you know what, I'm actually volunteering. I'm going to step into something that I've never done before. I'm stepping way out of my comfort zone uh, into uh, what I'm now going to do. Or, or maybe uh, you're a little bit younger and you've made the decision to, to move out of home. And uh, you're kind of branching out and it's kind of just you and the dog or the cats or it's just you on your own. It's something that's brand new. You know, or maybe today it's you're, you look back on something that you did at one point in time and you know it was a very risky, crazy decision to make. You know, I look back, uh, I've done a number of different things in my life, but I remember a couple of years ago on that ride that some of us took from this church where we rode from Bunbury in Western Australia all the way to Bendigo, nearly from one side of Australia to the other. Now, uh, if you've uh, ever been along the Nullarbor, you will know that riding a bike alongside of semi-trailers is a pretty crazy or a risky thing to do. You know, we've all done numbers of risky things, you know, uh, uh, and you can probably think of some different things right now. I, I think of another occasion. In fact, uh, it was a situation where a young girl, a young gorgeous girl from California decided to hitch her life to this young Aussie bloke in Australia 27 years ago. She decided to hitch her wagon to mine. And I can guarantee at that point in time, there were some people who were thinking, now that is a very risky or a crazy decision. We met in the, I love this picture. We met in the summer of 93. That's taken just outside of uh, Santa Cruz in Northern California. We met in the summer of 93 and uh, a few months later we were engaged and then just a few months later we were married. It was risky. In fact, uh, my daughter, she won't ever be doing that and uh, I'll be <laughs> keeping it quite clear, honey, there's some parameters and there's ways of doing all of this. But time has shown over 27 years that that is one of the best decisions that we have ever made together outside of a personal decision with Jesus. All of us can probably identify different things in life where we have kind of made a, a bit of an edgy or a crazy decision. It may not have been something that has been dangerous. It might have just been a decision where we've kind of stepped up or we've kind of pushed ourselves out to the edge or we've tried something a bit new. And as a result, it's been a little bit risky. You know, that, that thought this week reminded me of another story I was reading across the, the past few weeks, a story of, of, a, of two people, a man and a woman, who risked absolutely everything to connect their lives with Jesus. Now, this story is found in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, you know, if you've been with us for a while, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark in this series called King Jesus. But as you come to this story, and it's rather quite a unique story, uh, I think one of the things that we learn out of this is the sense that Jesus is quite comfortable with the mess of our lives. 
In fact, uh, whether it be the big or the small or the urgent or the inconvenient, Jesus has a way of stepping into the midst of all of those situations of our lives with ease and comforts. And so if you've got your Bible today, whether it's a device or whether it's a hard copy, uh, or you're just going to follow along with us on the screens, in the fifth chapter in the Gospel of Mark, we come across a story that is, it is rather quite unique, and it's kind of written in Mark's style. No other Gospels are kind of quite like this, but what we find in this is a story within a story. It's a story of, of a man by the name of Jairus. Uh, whom we're introduced to. And then in the midst of this, we come across another story uh, of, a, of a woman uh, that we really don't know much about, but uh, she had been bleeding for 12 years and she had been suffering. And today I want us to pick up the story in verse 22. and We're just going to follow our way through and, and unpack what, we, what is it that we're learning about this King Jesus. In verse 22, it starts this way. Now, you've got to remember that as it starts, Jesus has just come off. Uh, he just crossed the Sea of Galilee. He's just been involved in healing a, a man, a demon-possessed man. And we kind of hear this story now. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. You know, uh, Jairus... You know, as one of the, the leaders of the local synagogue, uh, it is probably, well, he would have known uh, a fair bit to do about what was going on with Jesus and was probably quite aware of the consternation that Jesus was, ca- was causing as he was going about talking about this kingdom of God movement that he, that he was involved in. Now, what did Jairus think about Jesus? Well, the scriptures really don't tell us. Was he antagonistic? Was he kind of open and warm to him? Or was he kind of sitting in the middle ground around, well, just kind of holding neutral, not wanting to rock the boat one way or the other? Well, we don't know. But what we do know is that he was agonized over the impending death of his daughter. And so he pockets his pride. He pushes aside his fears and he rushes off to find this Jesus. It's kind of the thing that we would all do, wouldn't we? If we were in that kind of same situation and Jesus was there and it was our child and we didn't know what else to do. And he puts aside anything about politics or his fear of other people. And he pushes in to Jesus and he asks that Jesus might come and and help him with his daughter. What does Jesus do? He is so moved by the faith of Jairus that uh, together they head off towards his home. Well, as the story continues, as they're making their way to his home, Mark tells us that Christ then suddenly comes into contact with another woman, a much older woman. And her story within the, uh, her inner story within the outer story uh, occurs and uh, in the midst of all this jostling that's going on in the crowds. You don't know how many people were there, but maybe just imagine you've been at the, uh, the, the Melbourne cricket ground for the, uh, for the grand final and you wander out of there and there's a hundred thousand people all around. You know, it's kind of tight and you're bumping into people and they're apologizing. Well, I've got this sense that there was this rather large crowd that was now following Jesus, uh, and Jairus to, to his home and, and this woman finds herself in the midst of all of this. And what do we know? Well, we know that she's in a desperate condition. Her condition had made her ceremonially and socially unclean, resulting in her being completely ostracized in her entire community. I can't even begin to imagine what that must have felt like. 
It was a terrible predicament that uh, she'd been subjected to over the past 12 years. And to make matters worse, she'd been to every doctor she could possibly think of and she'd exhausted all of her funds. She's now not only an ostracized, but she is living in complete poverty. And so what does she do? Well, Mark tells us what she does in verse 27. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Well, Mark says immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her bloody that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. You see, like Jairus, who had reached out and asked Jesus to come and lay hands on his daughter so that she might be healed, this woman says to herself in a similar vein, if I could just reach out my hands and touch his robe, then I too will be healed. Incredibly bold and courageous of this woman. Now, now realizing that something had happened in that moment. Now, you know, when you're in a crowd and you're bumping into people, and there's nothing significant about that. But in this exact moment where this woman had reached out and touched the robe of Jesus, instantly she knew something had happened. At the same time, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. And so he turns to his disciples and he says, who's touched me? That's a funny statement to make, isn't it, in the midst of a big crowd? And that's what his disciples were thinking. They, They said to him, look at the crowd that's pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Verse 33, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You know, this week I spent a bit of time mulling over that, thinking thinking to myself, why in the world, did why did it really matter to Jesus who had touched him at this point? I mean, after all, hundreds of people were possibly all around him bumping into him. Why did it really matter? And to make it even more significant, uh, if he knew what was going on and he knew that this woman was really quite ostracized already in her community, to kind of call her out at this point would be subjected to even more embarrassment. I mean, why was it so important that Jesus would want to know who has just touched me? Well, the scriptures don't tell us the answer to that, but, you know, I've kind of done a little bit thinking about it this week and pondered this for a moment. And I think there's probably a variety of reasons as to why Jesus in that moment wanted to know who had just touched me. You see, first of all, I think Jesus called that out because he wanted this woman to know that she had been healed. You know, uh, human nature, we're all like it, isn't it? We, you know, we can have this private moments where we're praying and asking God to do something and he works powerfully in our lives and it's significant, but it doesn't take long, does it, for us to, to, uh, to drift away or the next obstacle that we come up against or the challenge that we face in our lives for doubt begin to, to begin to creep into, into our lives wondering, well, uh, Jesus has done it then, but, but, but would he do it again? And I think in that moment that Jesus actually called her out. He wanted to know who touched him because he wanted to affirm in this woman's life that she had been healed. This wasn't just something that she had imagined. This wasn't just something that had uh, happened or she had sensed that it happened or was a kind of a, a temporary thing. Jesus wanted to eyeball her and look her straight in the eye and say, you, daughter, you have been healed. He wanted to know that she had been healed. 
But I also think in this situation that Jesus wanted others in that crowd to know that she had been healed. I mean, after all, this woman was an outcast. She was ostracized. And she had the courage and the faith to push in through this crowd as someone who was unclean and to reach out and touch the, the hem of, uh, of, uh, of Christ's robe. And in that moment, you know, you could see what would happen. This woman saying, oh, I've been healed. I've been healed. And the rest of the community saying to her, yeah, yeah, good one. Yeah, you're not really healed. You just want us to embrace you, want us to draw you back in. In that moment, Jesus looked at, he called her out and he wanted to, others around her to know that she had been healed. But I also think that Jesus wanted this woman to know how or why she had been healed. You see, there was nothing, uh, well, there was probably every chance that uh, if the story had gone out from there, you know how stories kind of grow uh, and they get bigger and bigger as they're being told. And before long, the story that started here is really not the story that is being told over here. But if, but if Jesus hadn't made this public, it really would have been a story that maybe this woman would have begun to have told and maybe people may not have believed her. But as the story went out, maybe uh, a myth might have happened where people were beginning to believe that, well, if I just take, reach out and touch a clo- the, the item of the clothing of Jesus, there's something miraculous or powerful in his clothing. That's what I've got to do. But in that moment, Jesus also not only wanted the woman to know, but the crowd to know that there was nothing inherently magical about what he was wearing, what made her well. He was very clear. He said, it is your faith in me that has made you well. And if there was one other reason why he said it, I think it was for the sake of Jairus. I mean, put yourself in his shoes or his sandals for just a moment. I mean, he's gotten the attention of Jesus and they're making their way to his home and all of a sudden Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be kind of hopping around a little bit anxiously. Say, come on, come on, Jesus. Look, there's people all over the place. Does it really matter? It's about my daughter. But I think in that moment, there, there, was, a, there was a learning opportunity right there for Jairus that Jesus was wanting to see that, hey, my timing is always good and perfect. And I want your faith to be encouraged by what's happening in this situation. This can be also true for you. Well, God's timing in this story was absolutely perfect because at that exact moment, Mark tells us that messengers suddenly arrived from the home of Jairus and telling him not to bother the teacher. Can you imagine that? Imagine the grief that Jairus would have felt at that exact moment hearing this dreaded news that your little girl, this one that's brought you so much joy in life, she's dead. I can imagine him feeling somewhat angry, maybe frustrated, thinking, gee, if we just kept going, gee, we might have made it to the house. Well, it's into this scene that Jesus hears this conversation and he responds in verse 36 with these words. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe, Jairus. Now, I don't know about your reaction to that, but if that was my situation, we think that's a little cold and callous. She's dead. And you've got the audacity to tell me, don't be afraid, just believe. See, I think in that moment... Jesus realized that fear and faith, they couldn't go together. And so he says to Jairus, Jairus, hang on. You've seen what I've done. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And somehow, somewhere in all of that, although he was numb with grief and pain, he finds this spark of faith. 
And together they make their journey, this short journey, whether it was just a block or two, to his home. And as they get there, they are greeted with this commotion. Now, it's a, it's a sight that we're not accustomed to in the West. It's not the way in which we grieve. But in many countries around the world, there are these well-established rituals for the grieving process. And in that day, it was customary to hire professional mourners who would turn up at the house and they begin to weep and wail, making it really possible for family members then to be able to, to express their grief without feeling embarrassed in the midst of all of that. Well, well, Jesus sees what's going on. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And he puts a quick stop to it and he says these words. He says, why all the commotion and the weeping? People are thinking, well, it's obvious, isn't it? And he says, this child, the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And we're told the crowd laughed. Somewhat of a common experience for Jesus as his ministry continued to grow. He would do things, he would make statements, and people would kind of laugh and mock, well, no different here. And so what's he do? He sends them all away. And with the mourners gone, Mark says that Jesus took the girl's father and mother and three of his disciples, and they wandered up into this room where this girl was lying. And here's what's really quite cool about this story. You know, uh, early up in the story, in the, the beginning of the outer story, and then the inner story uh, with the man, the woman, they're the ones who reach out to Jesus. Well, now Jesus is the one who reaches out to this little girl, to this dead girl. And he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. It's a term, this, this, this phrase of little girl, uh, it's like it's a term of endearments. It would be like uh, uh, a father looking at uh, his little girl and, 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 or a grandfather and saying, Hey, sweetie, come over here. Hey, sweetie, get up on my knee. Sweetie, it's time to get up. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them the strictest orders to not tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. That's an amazing story, isn't it? So you've got to ask yourself, well, what in the world is that story there for? I mean, why was that story so important, not only to Mark, but why would Jesus step into all of this? What's the significance of that in that moment? But what is it still for us today? Well, I wanted to share just two really quick applications with us today uh, that, I, that I see in this story that I think resonate not only so strongly for me uh, in this season of my life, but I think should, should just speak so loudly to all of us. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that I, I want to draw your attention to. And it's really, it's around the work of Jesus in the life of these two individuals. You see, Jairus had just experienced 12 years of sunshine and this was about to be extinguished, just like that. We don't know how long his daughter had been sick, whether it was just something that had happened, but her life was about to be taken from her. The woman, on the other hand, well, she'd experienced 12 years of agony and just was at the, there was just nowhere to go with any of it. Jairus, well, he was a somebody and this woman, well, she was a nobody. We don't even know. We're not even told what her name was. Jairus was probably wealthy because he was an important man, but this woman was poor because she spent all of her money on doctors. 
Jairus came publicly, but this woman came privately, secretly. Jairus thought Jesus had a lot to do to try and heal his daughter, whereas this woman thought all that she needed to do uh, was to reach out and touch Jesus' garments. And Jesus responded to the woman immediately, uh, but to to, to Jairus, it was after a delay. And maybe one last observation, Jairus' daughter was healed secretly, but the woman was healed publicly. See, as you think about that today, you should think about that for that situation, you think about that for our lives. What does the work of Jesus in both of these situations say to us today? Well, it says a number of things to me. It tells me that health and wholeness are not just extended to a, a few lucky ones who already have it going on for them in life. But neither did Jesus set the lowly over the lofty, favoring those who might have been treated unfairly or denied certain rights and privileges in their life. And so as different as those two stories are, because they are so different, the characters are different. Uh, We've got a male and a female, one's known and one's not known. As different as these two situations are, they remind us today that Jesus is able to, he can handle both the big and the small, as well as the urgent and the inconvenient situations of our lives. Or to put it another way, he's not phased at all by the mess that we sometimes find ourselves in. He's comfortable with that. He's comfortable with us reaching out to him in the midst of all of that. But here's the second thing that I see in this story. And it's wrapped around the faith that is involved in each of these healings. See, Mark makes it very clear that it is faith in Jesus that enables all people, whether you are honored or dishonored, whether you are clean or unclean, that it is faith in Jesus that allows us to tap into the merciful power of God. You see, it's very clear in Mark chapter 5, verse 34, what saved this father's daughter and brought healing to this woman was none other than faith that was directed towards Jesus. That's what it was. Now, as I thought about that this week as well too, I thought, well, you know, I can hear some, some, some anybody who engages their mind in this story, in this passage, will, will have some, some obvious questions uh, in relation to the healing by faith that happens in this story, and what does that mean for us? You see, if Jesus was able to bring this young girl back to life, then why in the world didn't he step into all the other situations of grief during that same period of time? We've got a record of him raising Lazarus from the dead in, in John chapter 11, and then there was the widow's son at Nain in Luke chapter 7. But what about all the other ones in that same period who'd lost loved ones? You know, if Jairus is an example, I'm sure there were plenty of other individuals who had come by faith to Jesus, asking him to step into their situation, into uh, what was going on in their loved one, and we've got no record of that. And if Jesus had done it once or twice, then why wouldn't he have done it for everybody? And if God could move in power through Christ during that time, then why isn't he responding in a similar way today into our faith-filled prayers? You know, why the delay? Well, I want to acknowledge today and say, I think they are fair questions to ask. It's a, it's a human response. That's kind of the way in which we respond into the needs of our lives. And while it's fair, I also think it misses the point of the story. You see, just as Jesus wasn't coming as a one-man liberation movement in that traditional revolutionary sense, 
Neither was he coming as a one-man, one-shop, emergency medical center. He was indeed starting a revolution. And he was indeed bringing God's healing power, but his aim went much, much deeper than this. And this is what I want us to kind of see this in the story. Yes, Jesus was responding to faith. He, he was demonstrating his might and his power and his ability to heal then, and he can do that today. But, but really what he was doing in this, these miracles, there is a much bigger story. The miracles were serving as a signpost, pointing people towards a real revolution, a real healing that God was going to accomplish through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, on that cross at Calvary. That's ultimately what was going on. And so all this story it does, it encourages us to reach out by faith and to entrust our messy situations into the hands of a great God. It also tempers us. And uh, you and I, I think we must be sensitive to the fact that no matter at times how genuine or desperate our faith, all are not healed and all are not saved from death. The reality is that not every touch will heal. And those with faith will sometimes hear those dreaded words from a doctor that your loved one is dead. And this passage doesn't offer an explanation as to why a loving God allows evil to continue to exist or why the inexplicable will sometimes occur. But here's what it affirms. It says to us that God is still on the side of those who suffer and are stricken by grief. And while a miracle may not occur in every situation of our lives, this story still encourages us to reach out and to hold on to Jesus by faith with what we're experiencing in our life. See, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live and to walk by faith. Knowing that the greatest miracle that we could ever experience in life whether you're here in this room, whether you're watching online today, the greatest miracle that we could ever experience in life is a right relationship with God that will last for all of eternity, regardless of what might happen to us while we live out our days here on earth. So as I I wrap this up, I wonder if there is a need that might exist in our life today that we need to reach out and to bring before Jesus. You see, maybe for us today, maybe it's a broken relationship (laughs) and we just don't know what to do with it anymore. Maybe we find ourselves in a bit of a financial situation and we're not sure what the solution is going to be to that. You know, maybe it's a marriage relationship that's gone south, it's pear-shaped and you've done everything you could possibly do to try and fix it, but you you don't know what else to do anymore. You see, there could be any number of things that we are facing today, a genuine need in our life, and we find ourselves in that place of, well, what am I going to do with it? You see, often we spend all of our time and our energy running around trying to solve something, and we forget to even take it to the place of saying, you know what, maybe I need to bring it to Jesus. See, maybe today you feel like you've screwed up one too many times and you don't deserve his attention or the help of Jesus. Well, can I just encourage you today? That is not the picture that we get of Jesus in this passage. We get a picture of of, of a man who is incredibly compassionate, willing to respond to our situation, 
Whether it's big or small, urgent or inconvenient, he is there responding uh, to, to, to a person reaching out by faith. And I want to say today, I get that reaching out by faith is a little bit risky to do. You know, human nature just says, you know what, you solve it. You work on it. You know, and when you can't, uh, you, you can't find any more solutions, then you just bring about trying to do what you've got to do. Then, at that point, then you bring it to Jesus. You see, reaching out means bringing him our needs and leaving it with him. Reaching out means letting go of fear and trusting him uh, with all of our hearts. That's a hard thing to do when we like to be in the driver's seat. And, but I want to remind us today that out of this story, we're reminded that Jesus is a compassionate, loving Savior who's waiting to respond to even the slightest response of faith. See, over and over again, we find as we read through the Gospels, as we read through the Gospel of Mark, this King Jesus, he was a king for all people. For the people of that day, the people that he came into touch with. You see, it wasn't just a physical kingship that he was on about. It was about a spiritual kingship. He was reminding them that he is the God of this world. He is the mighty saviour. That he is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. And he was reaching out to people. See, is there a situation maybe in our lives today? Maybe it's a mess. And we don't know what else to do. But today we've got the opportunity to bring it to Jesus. I want us to imagine for just a moment before I pray. Imagine for me, imagine with me what might happen if we were willing to embrace the words that Jesus gave to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. I realize it's a daunting situation. I realize that you're not quite sure how that's going to end. You don't know the beginning from the end, but just don't be afraid. Put your trust in me. Just believe. You know, I'm no different to those of us that are in this room and maybe over in our other venue or you're watching online today. Just like you, I situations in my own life where God takes me to that place and says, you know what, are you going to trust me in this? And you know, you, you, you give something over and you think you've given it over and, and you end up taking it back again. Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. I want to encourage you this morning that there's a situation in your life, there's a mess in your life, there's something that you're not even quite sure what God is doing. Would you give it to him today? See, the reality is he knows best, his timing is best, and his way is always best. That's who we worship today. As our team is coming onto the platform this morning, I invite you just to bow your heads right where you are. You know, we're going to finish our service this morning by taking an opportunity right where we are in this room Maybe we're watching online. 
Maybe you've got a situation or a need in your life and what's the, what's the response today to that? Can I encourage you today, wherever you might be, to, to take that need that you've got and to hold it out before Jesus? See, no one's looking around right now here in this room and no one's kind of looking online as well too. But if you're here right now and you know that you've got a need in your life, you've got something that you are facing, can I encourage you here just to hold it out, just to hold your hands out in front? Just an acknowledgement. That's all you're doing. You're reaching out to Jesus. You're acknowledging before him right now that you have got a need. And you're going to embrace those words of Jairus, that Jesus gave to Jairus and said, don't be afraid, just believe. And you're going to entrust it to him. You're going to entrust this area of your life to him right now. I see those hands. And I'm going to pray for those in this room and for those that are watching online right now, that Jesus would continue to meet us at our point of need. He is the way maker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. He is a light in the darkness. That's who he is. Father God, this morning we worship you. We honor you this morning. We thank you for this story of your son, Jesus. And we thank you that it serves to us as a signpost that that shows us that ultimately in and through your son, Jesus, that we can experience the greatest gift and healing of all. That you stepped into our lives and at our points of need, that you bring us back into relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And we just want to acknowledge that before you today. We want to honor you and we want to say thank you for all that you have done. Father, thank you for what you are doing in our midst in the lives of people right here in this venue, in our other venue, for those that are online this morning that are watching. Father, you know the hearts of people. You know what they are facing. You know that there are people that are are up against some serious situations. Maybe it's a, a health crisis in their life. Maybe it's a marriage that's busted up. Maybe it's a relationship that's gone sour. Maybe they they find themselves in a really difficult financial situation. Maybe it's a child that's wayward that wants nothing to do with you and they don't know what else to do. Father, we stand before you. We sit before you. We, We are before you today reaching out, acknowledging that, God, you can make a way throughout all of this. And by faith, we reach out to you today, trusting you that, you that you're in the midst of this situation. And we're not going to take it back. Or in those moments when we do take it back, Father, would you just prompt us by your spirit to just to, to reach out, to just to put it back out there again. Father, step into the mess of our lives, into these difficult situations, I pray. And Father, we pray even today for breakthroughs in our lives. The Lord, we would have stories that would come out today and maybe this week where we celebrate your goodness and the way in which you're involved and at work. And, and Lord, if there is a delay there, then God, give us the courage and the faith and the tenacity to keep pushing forward, trusting and believing that, that you work together in all things for goods. We're going to own that today. We're going to hold that up today. Father, we believe by faith there's going to be stories that we're going to share, that we're going to tell of the way in which you have moved. And for that, we bless you and we adore you today in Jesus' name. Amen.